0: Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, we'll be joined by John Corrales to discuss the Celtics' six-game win streak behind some MVP caliber performances from Jason Tatum, despite the fact that the Celtics are bottom third in the NBA defensively. Then, we'll be joined by Ben Beacon from Locked on Wolves to figure out exactly what is going on in Minnesota. Some apathetic play from Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns, but there are some reasons in Minnesota to not lose hope yet for this season. And then lastly, we'll be joined by Cyrus Sotsas from Locked On Warriors. Says the defending champions are off to an 0-7 start on the road, still unable to notch a win away from home. What is going on that's causing the Warriors so many troubles to start their NBA season? Is it on Steph Curry? Is it on Steve Kerr? Who do you point the finger of blame towards? As always, thank you so much for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. We're free and available on all podcast platforms, including YouTube. Now, to Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com/slash locked on MBA. Joining us now is John Corrales, host of Locked On Celtics. You can follow on Twitter before it burns into flames at John underscore Corrales. John, the Celtics, winners of six games in a row, including a couple against Memphis Grizzlies, Denver Nuggets, strong, you know, upper tier opponents. Most recently. Coming off the a win against the Detroit Pistons with a 43 point performance from Jason Tatum, a season high for Tatum. He's averaging now 32 7 and 4 on the season, kind of flirting with the the 50 40 90 club. He's maybe a few percentage points away from officially joining the 50 40 90 club just how good has Tatum been for the Celtics to start this season
1: yeah i mean this is this is mvp level stuff right this is the the type of performance that you're hoping to get from your number one guy and the most impressive part of what Tatum is doing it's it's that the big scoring numbers aren't coming because of hot three point shooting you you can look at his performance and say it's the style of play That's fueling this attacking the basket. His, his finishing at the rim is significantly higher than it's been over the course of his career. And he's averaging at this point, nine free throws a game. But over the past few games, he's been getting 10, 11, he got 20. He got, uh, I think 16 in one of them. So he's, he's being aggressive. He's getting to the rim. He's getting to the line. The efficiency is way up and he's, still not where he wants to be as a three-point shooter so there is a leveling off of tatum's game that can be expected but the thing is that leveling off might make him even more dangerous because he's still that aggressiveness is just the style of play thing And, and if that continues then he'll still get to the free throw line he'll still finish and get a pretty high percentage at the rim it's it's a turning point in his career he's he's playing the it's almost like he's growing into his body and he's growing into his role and he's growing into an MVP.
0: It, it almost said like you were getting, it almost felt like you were getting ready to say he's playing the best basketball of his career. Is that safe to say at this oh, point? Of course. Or is... Easily,
1: easily. Okay. okay. I mean, there, there are a few games you look at all his point totals and, and the 26 and 23 point totals are, are at the low end. His lowest point total this season so far, I think is 23 points. He's got multiple 30 point games, multiple 40 point games. So yeah, it's Giannis, it's Luca, it's Jason Tatum in the conversation for MVP so far.
0: Yeah, he's got he's got more thirty point games than he does. Le- games with less than 30 points, which is absurd to think about 13 games into the season. Last year, John, you talked about, uh, we, when we talked about Jason Tatum and the, kind of the step that he took last season, the big part of that was the playmaking, right? Trusting mm-hmm. his teammates more, getting more guys involved. It, it, you talked you know, at, at length just now about his aggressiveness. Is that kind of what you're seeing out of him these first 13 games in, is just that level of aggressiveness or is there something else that he's kind of tapped further into this season?
1: There are a couple of things that stand out. One, it's it's the attitude, it's the aggressiveness, it's the attitude behind the aggressiveness. It's the, I'm at point A, there's point B, and you know what? I'm, I'm going to get there no matter what you do. That wasn't always the case. And when I talk about stylistic stuff, Tatum used to kind of take diagonal routes to the rim and try to avoid contact and, and slip a, a layup up past outstretched hands. And when you do that, you're already falling in a certain direction. So when you get hit, You're already going in that direction anyway. It's hard for a ref to see that. When you attack the front of the rim, when you get hit and you go past the front of the rim, no one's expecting you to say purposely go past the front of the rim. So then the refs say, oh, okay, well, he was fouled. It's just that more dogged determination and the direct path that he's taking is is leading to more fouls because the fouls are more obvious, and it just creates the contact. And he's just playing through that contact. And the other thing is his defense, which has always been, you know, decent to good. And this year it's getting like good to really good. And he's, he had one game where he had four block shots. He had a a big block shot um, in a game to, to force overtime, even though the Celtics lost in overtime. Uh, He, he's been getting the chase down blocks. He's been playing really well defensively. He's been rebounding. So the defense and the aggression, the playmaking is still there. The 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 way he gets guys open just by his presence on the floor is still there. So, yeah, it's, it's a completely new level. This is not a level at which Jason Tatum has ever played. Even when he had hot stretches, this type of play, this is not the way Jason Tatum has ever played in his career.
0: Right now, John, you know, and it might still be a little too early to be able to give a definitive answer on this, but how would you best describe Joe Missoula, his coaching style, maybe to this point? And maybe or maybe just, you know, if it's too early for that, just kind of how the guys are responding to him, you know, at the helm.
1: Yeah, I think he's he's been really good as as a coach as far as well, first of all, offensively, I think he's brilliant. I think he's as good an offensive coach as you're going to find the way he's using these guys is is really smart the way he's using screeners shooters as screeners um some creative plays some some really uh intricate knowledge of the rules to to work to his advantage really smart stuff uh he's as good an offensive coach as emio doka was a defensive coach so now they're waiting to get robert williams back and hopefully that fixes a lot of their defensive stuff and if they can do that then then watch out but he's missoula as far as scheming on offense He's, I, I, I've developed a really strong, really strong respect for him. And he seems to be connecting with the guys. The guys have already, you know, he was an assistant here for a few years. So they've already developed a pretty strong relationship with him. And I think they, they have only, that, that has only grown because as much as he is, uh, in a front facing sense, kind of benign and doesn't say much, I think behind the scenes, he'll, he'll be direct and, and everybody's talked about his preparedness and how direct and honest he is, and, and he's using those relationships that he's built to be honest with the guys. So, so far, so good. I think I think there are some things to smooth out. There's some questions about his timeout use and how much he lets guys play through certain runs where maybe we can have a conversation there. And and certainly some of the defensive stuff is, is a question of, is it him or is it the fact that they've been shorthanded and not had Robert Williams? But everything else has been a, a very pleasant surprise.
0: Yeah, Celtics right now number one offense in the NBA by a, by a kind of a wide margin at the top, like a few points difference between number one and then number two on the list. But just twenty first in defensive rating, so maybe that is something that you know Robert Williams is going to be able to smooth out when he does come back. Which that leads my my very final question for you, John. What's the latest update on, on Robert Williams? Where is he at as far as his his rehab progress, and, and when can we expect him back on the floor?
1: This is really interesting. I think it's going to be sooner than maybe we expected because. He kind of let it slip that they they set that eight to twelve week window just in case he had a setback and he hasn't had any setbacks yet. Well, now we're at week seven. This past Friday was week seven. So week eight is coming up this, at the end of this week. And so I think we're now getting into the window of possible Robert William returns. So is is Williams going to come back immediately once that window opens? He says he's been dunking in practice. Uh, or or in his individual workouts, so so it seems like the knee is fine. He's on the bench, and in some of his celebrations have been pretty vigorous on the bench, so he's not really concerned about putting any pressure on that knee when he hops off and, and starts celebrating with his teammates, so he looks normal right now. I think they'll take a little bit of time since they're 10-3. and three. Let's see if they can keep this rolling. There's no real pressure to bring him back. Let's see if this can keep going. They play OKC. They've got some tough games coming up, a road trip coming up. But if they can get through this okay and just let Rob slowly get back to things and 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 not feel for uh, uh, that they need to force him back, I think I think we'll see him come back in due time. Um, it's but my guess, a couple weeks away maybe.
0: All right, couple weeks away for Robert Williams. Can can he help right the Celtics' defense when he's ultimately back in the lineup? Can Jason Tatum maintain his MVP-level play? Of course, you're going to have us cover for all of that and more over at Locked on Celtics. John, I appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me.
1: Always a pleasure, my friend.
0: Coming up, the Minnesota Timberwolves picking up their first win against an above 500 opponent this season. How are the T-Wolves adjusting to life with Rudy Gobert? Hasn't made them a top 10 defense and now they are struggling offensively as well. We're gonna break it all apart for you, but first, today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best, most qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the write people for your team faster and for free. And once you have a job posting made on LinkedIn jobs, it is so easy. You just add the little purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you are hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it incredibly easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on MBA. That's linkedin.com slash locked on MBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And continuing on here at Locked on NBA Monday, as always, appreciate you for making Locked on NBA your first listen each and every day. For your second listen today, go check out Locked on Sports Today. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked on can provide. Locked on Sports Today available on this app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Joining us now is Ben Beacon from Locked on Wolves. You can follow on Twitter at B Beacon, snapping their three-game losing streak, improving to 6-8 and eight on the season. But we're going to pick apart this most recent win by the Timberwolves over the shorthanded Cleveland Cavaliers because this was an insane fourth quarter from from where the fourth quarter started been to where things ended the Timberwolves walked into this fourth quarter with a 20 point lead on the Cavaliers and then slowly but surely that lead dwindled with Darius Garland going absolutely nuclear in the in the fourth and final frame 27 points what did you see happening for the Timberwolves in that final quarter that, that allowed this game to go from being all she wrote at the top of the quarter to being a nail biter at the end.
2: Yeah. I mean, they led by as many as 24 in this game, the wolves did, and it was never really close throughout. It, it wasn't like, you know, all of a sudden they surged ahead in the third quarter. This was, you know, the wolves were on top for much of it. No Jared Allen, no Donovan Mitchell for the Cavs. And I honestly thought, and this is coming from someone who obviously covers the wolves in his watch. They've actually lost six out of seven, like you said, three in a row. And a lot of these games haven't been competitive. So from my perspective, it was absolutely awful that they gave away this entire lead. It was a one possession game down the stretch. But from my perspective, this was more about Darius Garland just being completely unstoppable. He scored 51. A guy who came to the game shooting 30% from three, and he made 10 of his 15 three-point attempts to this game. And he needed a score for them to win, and he gave them a shot. I actually thought the Wolves certainly kicked away some possessions. I mean, um, Anthony Edwards continues to struggle. Uh, That's been kind of the story of the last couple of weeks for the Wolves. Um, And so there were some sloppy plays, But I actually thought defensively, other than a couple of misses here and there, you know, maybe just getting knocked off in transition, not expecting Garland to pull from 30 feet, which I guess is fair because he was 30 percent from three coming into the game. Um, You know, some of those plays like it certainly wasn't clean, um, but compared to where they have been the last couple of weeks,
0: this was to me more about Darius Garland just going nuts. So are, are you viewing this this win then, you know, even though it was maybe an ugly win, are you viewing it as a step in the right direction for this Timberwolves squad?
2: Actually, yes. Which I know sounds crazy. If you're if you're watching this or listening to this and and haven't watched the Wolves game, it yeah to give up a 24 point lead and be be only up one possession in the final minute is is not a good thing. But this team played with heart and played with effort, and they did that on Friday in the loss to Memphis, which was great. Um, but for the basically two weeks before that, um, I mean, like they haven't done that. I mean, they've they've been sloppy. They've been they don't deal with adversity well. There's you know guys getting into foul trouble and they just kind of cave and you saw that a little bit in the fourth of this game jade mcdaniels uh missed two free throws committed a frustration foul just shoved robin lopez for no reason and then um and then like two possessions later got uh got picked up a sixth foul and then got a technical complaining about it in a two possession game in the final minute and a half so like that moment was kind of where it was teetering and i was thinking it's going to slip away this is what's happened time after time um but the wolves were able to,
0: to hold on at the end but in general this was Actually, a step in the right direction. So, when you're looking at kind of some of the issues that have been plaguing this Wolves team over the last couple of weeks, there's been maybe even a level of like apathy at times on the floor from yeah. Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns. We've seen a couple clips go viral. One against the Houston Rockets that I got to see first, you know, firsthand. Anthony Edwards standing for an entire possession yep. hands on his hips, doesn't move at all. Then you have the one against the Phoenix Suns. The this. Maybe some passive-aggressive miscommunication between Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns. What is what is that dynamic going on right there? Is I mean we've talked about this before. Who's the best player on the team? You know, is it is it Ant? Has he kind of overtaken Cat? Is but who's the leader of this Timberwolves team? Is maybe a better question. Yeah, that's I I I don't know the answer to that. There and that's the problem, right? Um,
2: is that Cat is still probably you know Cat or Rudy Gobert is supposed to be the best player, but Rudy's new on the scene and Cat has a bit of a different you know, leadership style and Anthony Edwards is more that alpha dog personality, but he hasn't been there, done that. He's been the primary culprit. He and D'Angelo Russell, who would be the other one you'd maybe look to as somebody who's been an all-star, but, uh, both Antadillo have been the primary culprits with defensive lapses and, and bad turnovers. Both of them are, are the top culprits. Towns and Gobert have each had their moments, but they've generally been more consistent than, than Russell and Edwards. Um, so, you know, when you ask, when you ask guys are on the team, everybody says Torian Prince and, and, which is great. He's a vet and he's been around and he's been on winning teams, but he's also like your seventh guy. So, um, you know, and and of course last year it would have been Patrick Beverly who started, but of course was still a role player. So, um, you know, that's one of the issues certainly around the team is like, what does this turn into moving forward? But like, you know, we're still what 14 games into the season. So hopefully, you know, something can develop
0: on that front for the wolves. Is, is that and You know, looking at just a team that's, you know, starting out the season six and eight, had maybe some, you know, a higher bar kind of set coming into the season. You have the huge offseason acquisition of Rudy Gobert. A lot of, you know, NBA analysts kind of projecting this Timberwolves team to be a a strong regular season team. At least, you know, you were thinking Rudy Gobert, a walking top 10 defense in and of himself. Unfortunately, right now, Timberwolves going into this game against the Cavaliers were ranked 23rd in offense and just 16th in defense. So it's not really looking great on either side of the basketball. Is there one big glaring issue? in your eyes besides just the the lack of maybe that accountability or leadership or or that voice in the locker room is there something maybe from an x's and o's perspective that has really stood out that's troubling this team yeah i would say well
2: i mentioned just and this is this is more in lines with some of the less tangible stuff but dealing with adversity whether it's foul trouble or you know uh what they perceive to be bad officiating um you know just like Things along those lines, that's that's probably the first thing. The next thing I would say, offensive rebounding, or excuse me, allowing offensive rebounds as second-chance points. And that was an issue early in this game against the Cavs. A Cavs team without Jared Allen, they were just getting, they get eaten alive. Like Rudy Gobert has held up his end of the bargain. He's one of the league's best defensive rebounders still this season. He was the best last year for the Jazz. And he's doing what he needs to do. The Wolves' guards and wings are not rebounding the ball. And they give up, they give up 32 second-chance points on Friday to Memphis on 15 offensive rebounds. So... When you're giving up or 17 or so, it was basically two points per offensive rebound, which is just insane. Like there's some bad luck there too, but it was it, it's just like these no man's land rebounds, which goes back to hustle and and you know stick to and playing hard. And these guys are just not hustling to loose balls, not hustling to 50 50 balls, um, not hustling to offensive you know what turned into offensive rebounds for the opposition. That's the number one thing because the the initial half court defense has actually been okay. They're just getting. You know, cleaned out on these second chance points. And then they're on, on those second chance points. They don't recover. They give up open threes, and opponents are, you know, they have a bottom five three point field goal percentage against as well. And I think those two things are
0: pretty closely tied together. So they really have to shore up the non Rudy part of their defensive rebounding. And then when you look at the opposite side of things, the offensive side with, with Rudy, how does it feel like this team is is maybe adjusting to, it feels like maybe at times there's there's like maybe a lack of spacing or just adjusting to the new spacing in their offense because Rudy occupies space and he doesn't stretch the floor out. You can't play five out when Rudy's on the floor. And look, this was a, this was a, a team that was seventh in offensive rating last season. They've plummeted all the way down to the bottom one third of the association. So has that been a kind of a big adjustment this year trying to learn how to play with Rudy, especially? on the offensive end. Yeah, the short answer is yes, but it, it's not exactly in the same way
2: that I expected it to be. It's more impacted D'Angelo Russell and, and, and to an extent, Anthony Edwards. I thought it would impact Towns more, but but I mean, the Wolves are doing enough stuff with Towns on the perimeter and they get enough minutes by themselves with you know either Rudy or Towns staggered with one each, one at the five and one on the bench. It's really more been pick and roll spacing. D'Angelo Russell's a really good pick and roll lead guard and Rudy's arguably the best screener and roller in the league but the, they aren't quite like they're not, there's no synergy there yet. And again, we're talking 14 games in, they barely played together in the preseason because Rudy came out of Eurobasket and sat for a while. And so I, I think there's some chemistry there that needs to be worked out. Some, you know, Ant still isn't great at passing the ball. Like, well, he, he's not a great multitasker yet, right? He's not, he's a good passer and he's a, obviously a very good scorer, but when he gets his head down and gets, turn, you know, gets downhill, turns the corner, goes towards the rim. He's not great at those dump off passes in the lane. And sometimes the spacing's a little bit cluttered because I think the feel just isn't there. I still, I'm pretty bullish on ultimately Rudy and cat can play together. And, and we've seen flashes of that the two of them working really well together, passing the ball back and forth lobs from cat to Rudy have been a thing. They've been really good um, uh, in that particular moment, that type of play, but it's really more. Right now, the feel between the guards and Rudy Gobert, and ultimately, I, I think it's going to work itself out.
0: But right now, that's what's been the clunkiest thing. What's right now been your ultimate kind of silver lining? Look, we're, we're, you know, through the first 14 games of the season, it's pretty early. But what do you have as kind of a silver lining or maybe a storyline that, that gives you a little bit of hope moving forward into the season for the Wolves? Yeah, I would say that none of their
2: best players have actually, or none of their top four players, we could call it, uh, you know, the uh, obviously Delo Towns, Edwards, Rudy, none of those guys are individually playing as well as they typically play. Like they're all playing well below, if you just, because a lot of times you'd look at this and be like, oh, well, Kat's getting his, but Rudy's not playing great, or Ant's playing great, but they they just aren't working together. But individually, none of them have been very good to this point. They're all basically below career averages across the board. Shooting percentages, catch shooting 35% from three. He's never he hasn't shot below 39% since like his rookie year. Um, same thing with D'Angelo Russell. He's below 30% from three before this game. He had a good game in Cleveland. He scored 30 on Sunday. Um, so at some point, each of those guys is going to see some level of improvement. And the fact that they're six and eight, um, given that fact is i don't know it's it's not still not great but it makes me feel like when they do if and when they do kind of kick it into gear as a team that that they may be the team that we expected them to be
0: who can ultimately step forward as maybe the the new vocal leader of this Timberwolves team and can the Timberwolves get things turned around and get this thing figured out and uh kind of get to some of the expectations that were kind of set for them coming coming into this NBA season. Of course, you're going to have us cover for all of that and more over at Locked on Wolves. Ben, I appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Of course. Thanks, Jackson. Coming up, the defending champion Golden State Warriors are off to an 0-7 start on the road this NBA season, which has never happened before in the history of the NBA. What is going on with the Golden State Warriors? Why have they taken a complete nosedive defensively? Why do the lineups seem so inconsistent by head coach Steve Kerr? We're going to break it all down for you in just a moment. But first, today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline. Betonline BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your sports betting info stats news and analysis get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there from football to basketball to soccer and even esports they've got you covered for everything over at bet online even right now, you can take a look at who the odds on favorites are for the NBA title this season. The Boston Celtics at plus 550. The Milwaukee Bucks right there with them at the top of the pack at plus 550 as well. Golden State Warriors sitting firmly in third place at plus 700. And then rounding up the top five, you have the LA Clippers at plus 800 and the Phoenix Suns at plus 1,000. So for all of those odds and more, be sure to visit betonline.net to learn about the trends and action available to you. BetOnline, it's where the game starts. And final segment here at Locked On NBA Monday. As always, appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen, free and available wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Joining us now is Cyrus Satsa's host of Locked On Warriors. You can follow on Twitter at Dog Surf Roadshow. Now, Cyrus, look, this has been some really rough sledding for the Warriors to start this basketball season. Now, a shocking 0-7 on the road, which I think it's already, I think it happened at like 0-5 or 0-6, but no defending champions had ever started the season like with an 0-5, 0-6 record, whatever it is. So that number just keeps growing after Mm -hmm. winning the title the season prior. Let's start with their most recent matchup against the Sacramento Kings. A, a kind of a nail biter coming down to the final moments in this one. Warriors making a bit of a surge late. They get back into the game. They take the lead. Kings respond. They close out the yeah. game strong. What went wrong late against the Kings to, to keep the this Warriors team winless uh, away from home?
3: Uh, I mean, defense was was the problem again. It's been the problem all season. I mean, the Warriors are literally dead last and points given up per game. I don't know what their their number is per 100, but I'm guessing they're last there as well. And DeAaron Fox just ate him up, you know. And the Warriors just did not have an answer for him, but one thing that was also interesting that the Kings did and maybe this is testament to Mike Brown. Um, you know, it's becoming more and more apparent that his absence from the Warriors is making a huge difference. I mean, Mike Brown before he left the Warriors literally had a defensive coordinator uh uh, tag to his job title i mean that was his role um and you know and look i mean ask any media member who covers the warriors and they'll tell you that behind the scenes he was hardworking. he was uh he was similar to jordan poole stephen curry you know one of the first people in one of the last people out and all he did was just focus on game plans focus on individual development um you know schematics strategies you name it and and his absence is being felt and one thing the Kings did tonight, which I'm surprised more teams don't do, is focus their defense m- just almost exclusively on Stephen Curry. Um, they were not; they were double-teaming him, sometimes triple-teaming him. They were daring other Warriors to beat them, and that strategy worked because Steph, again, he was he just could not have an open look in that fourth quarter. Uh, I, I don't have the stats in front of me in terms of his shot attempts for the fourth, but um, you know he was held to 27 points, which is well below his. 33.3 percent uh, or 33.3 3 points per game average and yeah man they're 0 and 7 on the road that's no one in dub nation is happy right now i'm telling you that
0: yeah so as far as some of the numbers are concerned now i mean warriors falling to five and eight in on, on the season still winless on the road they are currently 14th in offense 27th in defense 24th in overall net rating you talk about the the loss of mike brown there i mean is it is it pretty safe to say that he is, I mean, is he the sole reason for such a regression defensively? Because this was a Warriors team that was number two in defense just last season when they won the title. And largely the personnel is more or less the same. Like, they're, you know, Otto Porter Jr. gone, you know, so a couple pieces. But overall, the key pieces are still there. So is it really safe to say that it's just it's all, it was all Mike Brown and, and whatever schemes he was coming up with? well
3: the, the roster's not the same and and it, that was like a huge perception um going into the season for the warriors that you know like how are they going to give enough minutes to this super deep roster and 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 again i you know point, in terms of points per game the warriors are last they were they before tonight they were giving up 119 per game but they lost players that are now revealed more than ever in terms of their importance um, you know, people scoffed at me. Well, Gary, year, right Gary now. Payton,
0: the second. Sure. That's right, right. But, that, but ma- people, that makes sense.
3: But people scoffed him. Well, Gary Payton, the like he wouldn't be playing right now anyways. Like that's because he hasn't come back yet from his injury or I don't know what, what the procedure was, if anything, but he wouldn't be playing right now. But the, but a player that would be playing is Nemanja Bielitza, who again, people scoffed. I was telling people last year, man, he was vitally important to their success. I mean, you saw the numbers, uh, in terms of his defense on Jason Tatum in the NBA finals, but, but Otto Porter Jr. is a player that they're really missing right now. That like And again, I don't think he's played for the Raptors yet this year, but he was giving them about as important of a 20 to 25 minutes per game as you can get from a bench player. So they're missing him tremendously. Gary Payne II goes without saying, but again, he wouldn't be playing right now. And look, it, it's so losing those guys was huge. And I think an, a huge problem with the Warriors right now is that with their bench, They replaced Bielitsa. They replaced Gary Payne II. They replaced Otto Porter Jr. um, with Jermichael Green, who has DNP'd for the last three or four games now. Steve Kerr, after that 0-5 road trip, has decided to just lose all trust in him. Um, I don't know if that's justified. Jermichael was kind of underperforming. But again, I don't know if if DNP'ing him is the answer. That's weird. I mean, Kerr's decision-making this season has been really nonsensical to me. Uh, I, I, you know, between Jermichael Green, Dante DiVincenzo was injured uh, and he missed six straight games. So when DiVincenzo has played the Warriors were three and two on the year, um, but he's still not the same as Otto Porter Jr. or Gary Payne, the second and then most disappointing. And this has been really the the issue that's plaguing them is that the Warriors have three lottery picks on that bench that are not playing at all. Uh, Kaminga got some minutes tonight, and but before, but he was DNP'd for four or five games of the season. Um, Moses Moody, a player that, you know, every, even, even skeptics of the Warriors youth uh, were generally praising Moses Moody. He got another DNP tonight. That's two games in a row where he just did not see any minutes. James Wiseman, former number two pick, a player that I think a lot of people thought was going to be vitally important uh, to the Warriors this season, another DNP. Uh, and the last time he played, I think he only played like nine minutes against the Pelicans. So that's the part that I'm perplexed with. Is and Anthony for...
0: Lamb, who's been basically a G League lifer, is getting minutes for the Warriors, he... which is another kind of confusing
3: uh, little wrinkle. Weird. And Ty Jerome is another another player. And both Anthony Lamb and Ty Jerome got two way deals. And you're right. And Anthony Lamb played 14 minutes tonight. He got over 20 minutes the last game the whole thing is bizarre and I don't know if it's Kerr trying to send a message to his young players that they're not performing at a level he wants in practice but I don't know how the Warriors are going to repeat as world champions if those three youngsters are not getting reps getting experience developing their game to contribute important minutes of the postseason I don't know what Kerr's strategy is here and you know I, I at some point I'm going to find him and ask him myself uh because no one else seems to be asking him this but that is a massive concern these dnps for the young players
0: so right now i mean are you are you uh, do you kind of chalk up most of the frustrations then for most of the 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 bad start to steve kerr then past because i mean you look at some of the numbers right i mean like steph's numbers he's he's playing out of this world but the numbers aren't translating to wins so do you do you look elsewhere do you look at the coaching staff and say it's on it's on kerr this time or
3: partly because again i don't i don't see what the he hasn't given any clear answers on why these young players aren't playing. Like uh, Kaminga, for example, last year averaged 16.9 minutes per game. Uh, this season, he's averaging, um, if my stats are correct he's averaging 12.9. I don't know what happened. And that's just from recent games where he's catching up. I don't know what happened between the championship and training camp that made kerr decide i don't like him as much now we we uh, talked about Bikesman. this we talked about this
0: going into the season on this very show maybe you know the not maybe not the last time that you were but at, at one point we talked about expectations for the season for the warriors and, and your expectation was that all these young guys moody Kamingo, wiseman would all have to take a step forward and you know fill the shoes so to speak and if they're not being given consistent minutes then how are they expected to be able to do that
3: exactly that's my argument to, to the t and and look, the Warriors made this decision. I mean, I'm not I'm not a front office executive. Bob Myers is the one who made this decision. They And the ownership group, they led Gary Payton second to go. They did not want to pay him what Portland was offering. They didn't want to pay Otto Porter Jr. What Toronto was offering. And they could have. They could have at least come close with Otto Porter Jr. They just let these two walk and did not really replace them. Jermichael Green was supposed to be a replacement, but he's been dmp would I believe, for three games in a row now. Uh, uh, Di Vincenzo is an injury-prone player. So you. I, I don't know how you could have relied on him to give you significant minutes for the whole year he's a great player by the way when he does play he contributes yeah it's perplexing i don't understand what the big picture strategy is here and what's even more concerning is that the warriors are expending a lot of minutes for these older veterans when i thought the plan was to take it easy on them so that they could be refreshed and ready to go in the postseason but instead they're playing heavy minutes they're still losing games i will say this though clay thompson is off to a horrible start horrible um i'm still a believer like i i want to give him 25 regular season games before i start casting judgment but right now clay is not the clay of old i don't even think draymond green is the draymond of old he's making some mistakes very subtly like i'm studying him minute by minute every game and then the matchup stats in terms of how he's doing defensively on -on one-on-one matchups are not great for him he's giving up nearly 50 percent shooting from the field um, and for a player who they're absolutely counting on for defense to be not at his top lo- top notch level, yeah, there's a lot of concerns here. Um, I'm not hitting a panic I'm not hitting a panic button yet, but um, I'm getting closer to it. Believe me, I'm, my finger is now lurking towards that button. So, yeah, it's it's wild, man. I don't know what's going on. I don't. F-
0: finger lurking towards the panic button in the Bay Area are the Warriors big three. Well, maybe not Steph, but, you know, Draymond and Clay starting to show signs of some regression. Will the young guys start getting minutes for the Warriors under head coach Steve Kerr? Of course, you can have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Warrior Cyrus. I appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me.
3: Anytime, Jackson. Thanks, man.
0: That's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcast. That's Apple, Spotify, Google, the Odyssey app, free and available on all podcast platforms, including YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. But as always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA Monday, the biggest stories with the local experts.